good morning. Merry Christmas. Glad that uh, you're here and thanks for all of you joining us in online as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. And uh, we're going to continue and finish up our series on the name uh, by looking at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bible or app, go ahead and open it up to that as we uh, look at this last and actually most significant name to which we refer to our Lord and Savior. That is the name of Jesus. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So let's just go ahead and turn there. Uh, please stand in all the reading of God's Word. So chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we're here today to celebrate your incredible incarnation, your birthday, the day that you left your heavenly home and confine yourself into human flesh to be forever one of us. So you can sympathize with our weaknesses, but yet remain without sin. That you can lead us, you can guide us, you can shepherd us, but ultimately, Lord, so you could save us. And so we just give you all the praise and glory this morning. Pray that you use this time to um, introduce us to you or to help us grow in you, to really take this time of year seriously because of what it's all about. And it's all about you. So bless our time. Be honored in it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. We've been in this series since the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And so what we're, I've been talking about is these names of Jesus. You know, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9 and we saw how he had these titles ascribed to him when 700 plus years before Jesus came, the great prophet here was saying that the solution to the dilemmas of humanity, the solution that Israel was struggling with specifically was going to be a child. Where Isaiah the prophet says in verse 6, unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then he goes on and gives him four names, four titles. We've looked at Wonderful Counselor and how Jesus, who is God, God in the flesh, is the Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful talks about awe and wonder, how Jesus would do things that brings us to awe. But he's also that awe-giving, wow-factor counsel. He gives good, solid leadership, guidance, advice, and he's always right in what he tells us. And then we looked at mighty God. And not only does Jesus as God give us the right advice and counsel, he also is almighty. He's powerful to make it happen. That whatever he deems is right and good, he has the power to enact and to make those things happen and take place. And then we looked at he's the everlasting father. He is the eternal shepherd, leader of his people. Uh, and then we finally, we looked at Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace is kind of the culmination of those other three titles. Because Jesus is wonderful counselor, because he is the mighty God, because he is an everlasting father to his people, he is the Prince of Peace, to restore the peace that we also yearn for and look for, especially this time of year. And then last night, 
We talked about Emmanuel, which we read in the same passage, just the following verse, how the virgin will conceive and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's with us. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. But here today, we're celebrating the name of all names. All of these are titles. Wonderful counselor, that's a title. Mighty God, that's a title. Everlasting Father, title. Prince of Peace, title. Even Emmanuel, title. But today is the true personal name of God the Son, and that is Jesus. So if you have your sermon notes, pull those out. Uh, we're gonna take some notes as we go, and you can also open it up on your Canaanist STL app, those of you who are watching from home as well. And we're gonna start with this big thought. And the big thought this morning is simply that of all the names that scripture gives to the Son of God, none of those names are greater or as great as the name of Jesus. So let's first look at the meaning of this name. Here the angel tells Joseph, gives him the divine command to name this son, to name this child Jesus. And so let's look at the meaning of the name Jesus. We see, as I just mentioned, it is a divinely given name, expressly given by command. And that, that kind of tells us that in a sense, Jesus is his only personal name. Everything else is titles. And the personal name of the one born into the world is not only a, the supreme human name, but also embodies his divine person. Uh, he is Jesus, God the Son. So let's, let's look at his name. The word Jesus, it's a Greek name, and it comes from the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, the same name, just two different languages. Let's look at what this name means. We'll look at the beginning of Jesus' name, the J-E, and uh, that's from the Hebrew Ja or Yah, which is a shortened version of the name Yahweh or Jehovah. And that is God's personal name. If you go back to the book of Exodus chapter three, when God is introducing himself to Moses, Moses is a shepherd and he's out in the field and all of a sudden he looks and he sees this, this bush on fire, and he, but yet it's not being consumed. So Moses approaches the bush to, to investigate. And as he approaches the bush, his voice emanates from the bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes for the ground that you are on is holy ground. And so Moses knows he's having an encounter with the God of the universe. And so God proceeds to give Moses the command to go back to Egypt and let the people go. And Moses says something to this effect. He says, but God, who should I tell them is the one who's sending me? When they ask, who is, who is this God who's telling you to do this? And God reveals for the first time his personal name to Moses. He says, you tell them that I am who I am sent you. And in Hebrew, that word is Yahweh or some pronounce it Jehovah. Same Hebrew letters, just different pronunciation. But that is God's personal name. Well, here in the name of Jesus, we have the shortened version, Yah, which is short for Jehovah or Yahweh. And so that is his shortened version points to the fact that he is God. It speaks of his divine authority, that Jesus is none other than God, the great I am. So this one little syllabus, or syllable tells us of his eternal Godhead, of his covenant relationships and his mighty power and his everlasting love. But then you couple that with the last three letters, 
the S-U-S, which is a shortened version of the Hebrew Oshe or Hoshe. And that means to help or to save. And so this, this, this helping word here um, shows that, you know, that Jesus is God saves. Yahweh saves is what his name means. It's pretty interesting. You go back to the Old Testament. Moses had this protege named Joshua. And early on, Joshua was just a special guy. In fact, in, in the book of Numbers, we see that, that Joshua is one of the 12 spies that Moses chooses to go and scout out the promised land. And he comes back and they give good report. And it says here in, in Numbers chapter 13, it says that one of the names of these men, these spies whom Moses sent to spout the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses renamed him because he went from Hoshea, just one who helps, to be in Joshua, Yeshua. God is the one who helps. God is the one who saves. And Joshua would be the one that years later would actually be the guy leading God's people into the promised land, the very symbol of God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land of peace and hope and love. The picture foreshadowing the ultimate Yeshua, the ultimate Jesus, God saves us out of our sin to deliver us into the eternal promised land that we call heaven, glory, everlasting life. So much perfect symbology and connection there. And so, as mentioned, so Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. And so here in this second part of the name, we see that we're assured because of who Jesus is, we're assured pardon and peace, deliverance, from our sin and from everlasting torment. This matchless name of Jesus therefore expresses the relationship of God to his incarnation, that the God becomes flesh. That's what Christmas is all about, the incarnation of Jesus. Let's talk about the impact, the impact of the name of Jesus. We see here the power and glory of the name Jesus. You know, there's a, a section in the book of Philippians where Paul is reflecting on who Jesus is and he's teaching the church how, to, how are we supposed to interact with each other. Like he starts in chapter two, verse, verse two, says, hey, let, you know, esteem others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. And then he kind of he moves in to look at, look at Jesus as our example. Verse five says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, or this attitude. And then he begins to quote an ancient hymn in the early church, which is such good theology. But it tells us a lot about this power and this glory of this name of Jesus. So let's look at this. Look at the power and the glory, how first Jesus is highly exalted. The, this, what Paul quotes here in Philippians chapter two, verse nine says, therefore God has highly exalted him. That him is Jesus. Jesus is highly exalted, not just exalted, but he is highly exalted. In fact, so highly exalted that we see that the name Jesus is above every other name. Philippians 2, 9, part B says, and bestowed on him that God the Father bestowed on Christ, God the Son, the name that is above every other name. We see that happening right here in Matthew. How does God do that? How does God bestow a name? Well, the angel, which we assume is Gabriel, tells Joseph, this child will be called Jesus. He doesn't leave it up to the family to decide. 
He doesn't leave it up for them to go through the family records, which is quite common and pick out a family name. So like my name's Daniel. So it would have been like me naming one of my kids Daniel or my dad having been named Daniel. They didn't do that. They didn't state a family name with Jesus. They went with what God had commanded, what God had decreed because God had already bestowed this name on his only begotten son. And it is the name that's above every other name. No other name comes close. Not wonderful counselor, not mighty God, not prince of peace, not everlasting father, not Emmanuel. As great as those titles, names, and meanings are, they are not Jesus. Jesus is the name above every other name because of who he is, his person. But he goes on. Doesn't stop there. At the name of Jesus, we're going to see. We see number three, every knee will bow to Jesus. Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, he says, says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Just think, just, just take a step back and think through that. Who all's knees then does that mean? Who all knees bow to Jesus? Well, on earth, that's us, that's humanity. That's the humanity that is alive at that moment when this happens, which most of us understand to be a future event. But in that future event, at judgment, every knee bows to Jesus. But every knee in heaven, all of the angels, all of those who have gone before us, every single knee, physical, spiritual, every knee will bow. And then even says under the earth, the dead, the unsaved dead, even the demonic, even Satan himself, at the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name, at that name, Jesus, to the person of Jesus, every single knee from all of time will bow before Jesus in humility, some in worship and adoration, that'll be our posture, some in fear and terror, of impending and imminent judgment. That'll be Satan and the, the demon's posture, but they will bow. But they don't just bow at the name of Jesus. They also will confess. Every single tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And it will do so to the glory of God the Father, who is the one who sent Jesus. The Father bestowed the name Jesus. So the glory goes to the Father that's achieved by the Son. And every tongue out of history will acknowledge that. So what to confess means? It means to publicly acknowledge. You know, so right here, Philippians 2.11, every tongue, every person will publicly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, this can be a, a great thing for those of us who are believers. It can be a terrifying thing for those that aren't. But here's the great news. That today, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, if you've never publicly acknowledged that he is the, Jesus is truly the God of the universe, that he truly does reign, that he truly does have authority over your life. If you've never acknowledged that, you can choose to do so today and honor him as Lord. And then be guaranteed that when that day comes, when everyone else is forced to do it, you can do it out of love and devotion, adoration and worship knowing that you're a part of his eternal family. Be yours today. Because Roman 9 tells us that to get saved, to be 
born again, to be rescued, for the God who saves Jesus to save us, our action, our response is to confess with our mouth this name Jesus, that he is Lord, and to believe in our heart to God, raise him from the dead. The promise of scripture here in Romans chapter 10 is that you will be saved. So this is the power of this name above every name, because ultimately, we are saved through the name Jesus and that name alone. Look at what the book of Acts tells us in chapter four. Here, Peter's preaching to, to you know, listeners, to an audience, and they're Jewish. And he's kind of gone back to the Old Testament and talked about how the prophets missed this. And they were, they were, they were forecasting and foretelling about the coming of the Messiah, but their, their teachers and leaders of the day had missed this. And so he says this in Acts 4, verse 11. So Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, talking to the Jewish people, which has now become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Look at what Peter says. There's no other name. That the name of Jesus, through the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus that we are saved and only Jesus. Now that's a, that's a pretty controversial statement today in our very, very poly-religious, very multi-religious culture we live in where you know, we're, trying to, we're taught to tolerate everything. And that's, that's true, we should love all people. But that does not change the truth that there's only one person who truly saves us. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's, it's not Confucius. It's not the pantheon of the Hindu gods. It's only Jesus. And that's not us being arrogant. That's just simply what Jesus himself and his followers taught us. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's that's the name through which we are saved. So we see the power and the glory of the name of Jesus. We also see the commonality and the approachability of Jesus. First is the commonality of Jesus's name. The commonality of Jesus's name. If you look through scriptures, Jesus isn't the only person named Jesus. It's actually a pretty common name in Hebrew and Greek culture. Back in the Old Testament, there were five different high priests named Joshua. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, there were over 20 different Jesuses that he talks about through history. Paul had a good friend named Jesus Justice. We meet him in the book of Colossians chapter four when Paul's kind of finishing up his letter to the church in Colossians. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greet you and mark the cousin of Barnabas concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice. So there's another guy named Jesus there that Paul was good friends with. We also meet another guy named Jesus in Acts 13, six. So Paul and his, his, his group, his fellow missionaries and Barnabas and those others, they were traveling. They'd gone through the whole island as far as, as far as Paphos. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus the Christ had a son. No, it's a different Jesus. Again, it's a very common name. 
In fact, interestingly, some, some other manuscripts of scripture actually give Barabbas the first name of Jesus. It would be Jesus Barabbas. And so that makes Pilate's question even more interesting when he, when he asks in the gospel of Matthew chapter 27, who do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus called the Christ? Two different Jesuses, right? It can be interesting. And Jesus though, is also common in the sense that Jesus is the most common name used to refer to our Lord and Savior in the New Testament. Much more than son of man, son of God, Messiah, um, Rabbi, all those other titles refer to Jesus, but the name Jesus is used over 600 times just in the New Testament to refer to our Lord and Savior. So what's the point? Well, the point is Jesus had a common name because Jesus chose to come as just a common guy. He didn't have some exclusive high and mighty name. He was Jesus. I'm sure people say, what, what should we call you, master? He says, hey, just, just call me Jesus. That's my name. He wouldn't have stood out as something special in a shopping mall or at a ball game. He just seemed common. In fact, the Isaiah, the prophet, even foretold this about him, that Jesus would, he would have no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. I mean, there's gonna be nothing about Jesus outwardly looking anyways. It's gonna say, wow, we gotta know this guy because it's not about his outward looks. It's about who he is. He is Jesus, common. So the commonality helps us because it also means he is approachable. We're gonna close our time looking at the approachability of Jesus. Again, just call him Jesus. We know that he had become flesh, which meant God was now touchable. This was, this was a new thing. This was a shocking truth. And there's no doubt that there's many of the Jewish people that couldn't fathom how God could become flesh because their understanding of God all through the Old Testament was God was not approachable because God is so holy and we are so sinful. There's, there was a distinct separation, a gap. In fact, even when God was talking to some of those who was closest to him, like Moses, there was gonna be some of that separation. Look at what God tells Moses here in, in Exodus chapter 33. He says, God said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. That, that speaks to that reality that we just can't really approach God in and of ourselves because he is so holy. And the holiness of God poses a real problem for sinful humanity because sin cannot withstand the presence of the pure, holy goodness of God. It's dangerous. In fact, it's lethal, as we see several times throughout the scriptures. But now that has changed because God chose to become human, to become flesh. That which was not approachable and not touchable was now being held by Mary, now being held by Joseph in the manger. It's powerful to think about. And we see all throughout the New Testament that people um, of all kinds came to Jesus without fear. They weren't 
terrified of being rejected or they came to him. We see all kinds of people. We see religious leaders like Nicodemus who thought they had everything figured out. They were so well respected by the masses for their knowledge of scripture and understanding of prophecies. And yet we see in John chapter three, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Not because, and he came at night, not because he's afraid of Jesus, but because he's afraid of what people would think about him coming to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus to have a conversation about everlasting life. We see lepers who were sick, who they dared not touch anyone. In fact, they were commanded to live in isolated towns and, uh, and refuge places because they were unclean. And if they were to touch someone else, not only can it make them unclean as far as religious ritual goes, it could also transfer the disease to them. And so they were not allowed to touch anyone, but they came up and touched Jesus. And Jesus touched them. We see the story of a, a lady who's had a, a problem of blood flow for years, could not find any remedy. She spent all of her money trying for the doctors, trying to help her figure out how to, how to solve her situation. And she, she comes to Jesus and she touches his robe because she thinks if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. She did and she was. We see the sick after sick, come to Jesus, touch him, talk with him. We see prostitutes come to Jesus and Jesus go to the prostitutes to heal them, to cast out demons, to you know, rescue them. The popular story is the woman caught in adultery. She's about to be stoned and Jesus comes there and she's at Jesus's feet. And Jesus says, who, any of you without the stone, without sin, be the first to throw the stone. And they all left. And then it was just her and Jesus having a conversation. See, Jesus go out of his way to Samaria and has this conversation with a woman at the well, which was socially inappropriate. But Jesus crossed all those social boundaries because he was approachable. And this woman and Jesus had a conversation that changed her entire life. And not just hers, but then she goes back to her village of Sychar and begins to tell everyone else about the Messiah that she just met. Abused women felt safe with Jesus and they entrusted him. The most macho of men respected Jesus, but at the same time, weren't trying to compete with him. People brought their children to Jesus and laid children at his feet, set children on his lap. Tax collectors, the most hated of all people groups in ancient Israel, dined with him. Doctors like Luke followed him. Powerful men and beggars came to him because Jesus didn't choose to come as the mighty, powerful, conqueror, intimidating king, although he is. He came to draw mankind to himself. He came to love, he came to serve. In Mark's gospel, Jesus himself says, look, even I, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. He came as Jesus. A few years ago, an author named Max Acato, and I don't read a lot of his stuff, but he had a little Advent family devotional thing and we read it and simply says this, and I love what he says here. He talks about the approachability of Jesus. He says, there was not a hint of one person who was afraid to draw near to Jesus, not one person who didn't approach Jesus out of fear of being rejected. They came to him. So interesting to me. You have 
prostitutes who would be ashamed of their lifestyle, who wouldn't approach religious people, yet they flocked to Jesus. You had these powerful men like Nicodemus. People came to them. They didn't go to others, yet they came to Jesus. And they didn't fear him. They did not, they weren't afraid of being rejected because there was something about him. He's Jesus. He's the all-powerful, mighty God, but he's also common, everyday human. And they came to Jesus. And Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 12. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Because of Jesus, we can now approach God. The problem that was is our dilemma because of God's holiness and our sinfulness, that's been taken care of. Why? Because Jesus, because God saves. When this angel makes the announcement to Joseph, he says, you will call his name Jesus. Why? Then he defines the name because he will save my people from their sin. From our sin, it's that dilemma of the separation from God because of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Jesus takes care of that. Have you trusted in Jesus? This mighty, powerful, approachable, loving person, Jesus. You know, we were spending time probably yesterday, today, maybe this week with family, friends, loved ones. People that we know probably love us more than anybody else on this planet. You're gonna be spending time with people that you love probably more than anyone else on this planet. You spend it with your kids, with your parents, with your siblings, your grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. I can guarantee you this. No one that you spend this week with, as much as they love you, no one comes close to loving you as much as Jesus loves you. And so this last Sunday night, we had Canaan family Christmas and we had the kids up here on the stage and gathered around and we read the Christmas story and we kind of ended it with a question. I want to end our time together here on Christmas morning with this same question. Knowing all this, knowing that Jesus is this almighty God who came in the flesh, but he's also approachable and loving and he loves you more than anyone else. What do we do in response? What's the greatest gift you and I can give to Jesus on his birthday? So the kids had great answers. And the great answer is, give him you. Give him yourself. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I want to give, give you my life. I want to follow you for all of my life. I want to serve you. I want to be one of yours. I want to be in your family. I want to know you. I want to be able to hang out with you and get to know you through your word and through prayer and and just seeing you work in my life. Jesus, I believe in you. Go back to Romans 10. Confess your mouth. Jesus, you are Lord. And believe in your heart. Trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Have you trusted Jesus? If not, what a great day to do it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you left your heavenly home to become one of us. That you became Emmanuel, God with us. 
that you are everything prophesied. You are the wonderful counselor. You are the mighty God. You are the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The God more than anything else. Thank you, you're Jesus, the God who saves. Lord, I just pray here this Christmas morning for everyone here watching online, that if anyone has never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, they've never surrendered their life to you, meaning that they believe and then they repent, meaning they turn from their sinful pursuits and instead they pursue you. God, if that's never happened in their life, I pray that today is the day they would say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you. I wanna follow you all of my life. Well, Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for being the king of all kings. And thank you for being that baby born in that manger, Jesus, who came to rescue us. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.